You're listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. It's good to be in the house of God with the family of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, give me one more praise. If y'all want to feel that, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. We are so glad that you're here. Thank you for taking time out of your busy lives to worship with us today. If, if you want to pull open the Vintage app, that would be the best way for you to kind of follow along as I'm teaching this morning. If you'll just hit the notes tab, it's preloaded with the scriptures and kind of the points for this day. I also just want to remind you, we've put something new on our app just this week. If you have the app, you'll notice down in the corner there's a little devotional tab. If you click on that, that's a resource that we're going to start doing if, you will, if, if it's something that we feel like you need and want. And it's kind of to take you deeper on what we're teaching on Sunday mornings. So maybe you want to use it for like just a personal devotional time that you come out of Sunday mornings because you realize that like we're not here just to talk for like 30 or 40 minutes and then just kind of leave the room. That God wants to take what we're doing in this room and apply it to your lives and help us go deeper and understand. Amen. Like, we don't accomplish anything if all you do is just kind of hear some words in this room every Sunday. But when you get out there and you get into your real everyday life, taking what God's been teaching us on Sunday mornings and letting it get deeply rooted in our hearts. And so we just wanted to add a tool that just kind of gives you some things to think about, ask you some questions just to kind of dig deeper into. And so we're going to do that. So sometime probably on Monday, after each Sunday, there'll be a new devotional connected to that teaching. We also think it would be a good tool. Maybe in your life group, you're struggling to find, all right, what do we do in our life group to kind of generate some spiritual discussion? Because your life group is more than just about going to the table and having a sandwich, okay? Uh, we want you to go deeper and have some spiritual conversations. And so this is a tool to kind of help you have those conversations and go deeper into what we're doing on Sunday morning. So take advantage of that. And also, there's a lot of things happening around our church. Again, I just want to remind you of quickly. We are going back to Haiti in 2018. <laughs> woo So... We're looking for applicants. As of right now, applications are open for Haiti 2018. We're going in late August 2018. We're actually going over the Labor Day weekend. We kind of hope that maybe that would help some people be able to have not not to have to take as many days off work because you have that Monday off. It's a Wednesday to Wednesday right around Labor Day in uh, tw- uh, August of 2018. Uh, so make sure that you t- make note of those dates. Go on, fill on the, out the online application because we would like to choose a team in the next several weeks. There's 12 spots and so far we have two applications and so if God's been kind of leading you to kind of take that step, fill out the application. If you have questions about that trip or, or anything about what we do in Haiti, come find me after the service. I'll be milling about somewhere uh, or find one of our hosting members and they'll be able to find me. I'd love to answer any questions that you might have. Also, just a reminder of some cool things happening this week. We announced a couple weeks ago a new partnership that we're doing as an outreach initiative to serve our city. And we're in partnership with the Bridge Project, which is a great ministry here in our county. And we're going to be connecting with the housing authority. And so starting this Wednesday, and and they're going to be monthly coming soon, we're going to go over to the housing authority. They have like a big community fellowship room. And we're going to cook a meal together with folks from the housing authority. We're going to bring all the items and ingredients, and we're going to invite them to come. And we're going to cook this meal together, sit down, break bread with the folks in the housing authority, build some relationships with people that we wouldn't otherwise get to have a relationship with with, hang out with them, get to know them, just help us, hope God opens the door for us just to invest in that community more. We also, at the end of the night, will send them home with the recipe and all the ingredients they need to cook that meal themselves in their own homes. Isn't that cool? Amen. We just celebrate that. 
And can I be honest with you? We're looking for people that maybe can make this a part of your monthly routine. Because our hope is that we'll build a relationship with these, these folks down there over the, the next year, year or years to come. And so if you're interested in being part of this initiative, would you, the easiest thing to do would probably, uh, you can stop by the White Connections tent on the way out and we can try to get you some information. But if you'll email Jasmine Denton, just jasmine at vintagechurch.net. She is kind of running point with this initiative along with uh, Andrew Oliver and the Bridge Project. And so just make sure you take note of that. And then finally, before we dive into the message, next Saturday night at 6.30, um, can I invite you to join us for a time of worship and prayer and just give me an audience to share some things that God has on my heart for our future, for our church, and for our community. Uh, twice a year, we do what we call uh, like a, a church-wide vision night. And we, I know it's summer. I know you're busy. I know there's a lot going on. There's a lot of other things you could be and probably need to be doing. But next Saturday night in this room at 630, we're going to have a time of worship, a time of prayer. And I just want to share with you some things that God has been putting on my heart about what he wants us to do as we move forward. So remember all that. Everybody with me say amen. All right, today we are in part two of a series that we are calling Spirit and Truth, and it's a series on the topic of worship. And to kind of get us into this series last week in part one, we looked at the story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. We've read that story. You know that story. She, he encounters this Samaritan woman. They have this conversation. It was just an, an amazing story. And, and you can take and, and teach all kinds of lessons from that story and come at it from all different angles. But there's a portion of the conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman that has just really jumped off the pages in my life recently. And it's when he's having a conversation with this woman about worship. And they had these preconceived notions about worship. And she asked Jesus, you know, Jesus, your, your people say that the only place we can worship God is this specific place. But my people say where we must worship God is, is this specific place. Kind of who's right? Because in that day, that, it seemed like worship in every culture was limited to a specific people group and a specific place. Like, God only met with certain people based on your background, your religion, all these different things. And God only met in this specific place. And Jesus says this to her in John chapter 4. The whole, con the, the whole conversation is in 19 through 24, but particularly look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus says to her, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. See, Jesus said there's gonna time going to come when, when no longer are we limited to people, group, and place. Like, I know this whole time it seems like we've just been separated and segregated and worship was supposed to be in this place and God only met with this specific people, but because of what Jesus was about to do on the cross, the veil was going to be torn. And now it didn't matter what your background was or what your skin color looked like or where you were or what place you were in that you could get opportunity to access the Holy Spirit of God and experience true, powerful worship. Isn't that good? Like, no more, like, you know, it's not for this group of people and that group of people or this denomination or that denomination or this skin color or this economic class. And it's not whether you're in bricks with stained glass in a steeple or you're in a gymnasium in the middle of Randolph County. Come on. I had a lady, I got to tell the story. I had a lady this morning. She came out. She, she's been coming to our church. She was here recently, and she walked out, and she was just in tears. And she said to me, she said, I never thought that after decades I would return to the middle school that I attended and spend Sundays getting Holy Ghost bumps <laughs> every single Sunday. Like God is not contained to any of these places. And Jesus is saying, I'm looking for true worshipers. But do you notice what he said? He said true worshipers. 
Because everybody's a worshiper. I told you last week, like, worship is not a learned behavior. Like, we know how to worship. We, we are worshipers at heart. I told you last Sunday, you, you go to any college football stadium on any Saturday in the fall, you're going to see people worshiping. It's just misplaced. You go to Target on Black Friday, that's some kind of form of worship. It's dark and weird, but it's some kind of form of worship. Like, we, are, we just naturally worship. I see parents all the time that worship their kids. I see teenagers that worship their boyfriends and girlfriends. Come on. Like worship, like we see it. And G, but Jesus said, I'm looking for true worshipers. And so we kind of kick this series off talking about, all right, then what, what does it mean to be a true, true worshiper? And I gave you two statements that I think are key to us being true worshipers. Number one, true worship acknowledges God for who he is and what he has done. It acknowledges God for who he is and what he's done. First, it acknowledges God because he's God. Like, God is worthy of your worship, no matter what he does. When God doesn't do what you want him to do, guess what? He's still worthy of your worship. There is a God, you are not him. And as soon as you settle that reality that God is worthy of our worship just because of who he is, and if he never did another thing for you, he'd still be worthy of your worship. If you don't get that job, if that test result doesn't come back, if she doesn't come back to your home, if all these things that you're praying for never happen, guess what? He's still worthy of your worship. Amen, somebody. He's still worthy of your worship. But we do worship because of what he's done, because he does choose to bless and do so much in our lives. But there's another thing that we have to recognize, too, is true worship is not just an outward expression. It's an internal submission. See, worship, we, we can look at people, and, and, and you can come in here, and you can raise your hands, and you can sing out, and you can throw money in the offering plate, and you can listen to it on your music, on your radio, and be blaring out the songs as you're riding down the street, and people looking at you at the stoplight like you've lost your mind. Just me. <laughs> but guess what? That doesn't mean you're worshiping. Jesus, in, this, in, in, in his time in ministry, he looked at people, and he said, he quoted the book of Isaiah where it says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're like, they're just going through the motions. And you can, you can look like a worshiper and not be a true worshiper. That true worship comes from a surrendered heart. And if God doesn't have your heart, he doesn't want your worship. Because he's not really getting the kind of worship that he's looking for. And if you're going to truly worship God, it's a surrender of the heart. Not just an, it's an internal submission, not just an outward expression. Worship. And so if that's what worship is, if, if true worship is acknowledging God for who he is and what he's done from a place of surrender, then the question is, all right, well, well what is worship? Like, how do I worship? And I'm going to give you a good answer. How do you worship God? With everything. Amen. Done. With everything. Like, there, I don't know, what I, sometimes we, we, we think of worship, we have these preconceived notions of how worship is expressed, but worship is everything. You can worship God in every arena, in every moment, in every place in your life. There doesn't have to be a song or an instrument present or even another person in the room. And what I really believe worship is, at its core, is obedience. Come on. Because if worship is acknowledging God for who he is and what he's done from a place of surrender, that will always look like obedience. So every time you're obedient to God, you're giving him worship whether that be coming in this room and belting your lungs out singing to him, or whether that be when you see, you know somebody's had a bad day and you just need to take time to show them some love, or whatever other scenario that you can think of. Like everything we do, when we do it from a surrendered heart, 
as an act of obedience to our God, acknowledging him for who he is and what he's done. That's a form of worship. So you, di- you didn't wait to worship when you got here. Hopefully you've been worshiping God all week by surrendering to him in every single moment and every seri- single area of your life. You've been worshiping God. Worship does not, worship is everything we do. Everything we do is an act of worship. Every, every time we're obedient to him, that's acknowledged. Because see, obedience is truly a- acknowledging him for who he is and what he's done from a surrendered heart. That's the fruit of that is obedience. But there's another word that is associated often with this con- concept of worship that I want us to kind of dive into a little bit today. See, there, there's another word when you think worship, there, there's often been another word that's kind of a tag to worship. I remember growing up, we used to go to church, we used to have praise and worship. We'd have us some praise and worship. Remember that? Like now we're going to enter into a time, a time, of, time of praise and worship. I remember going up thinking, uh, uh, what's the difference? Like we're going to praise and worship. And praise is a very specific word that's used all throughout Scripture. You see things like this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Like so praise is something that we're called to do, Amen. Like all throughout scripture, we see this call like right there. Let us offer a sacrifice of praise. You read on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, the church. And the reason why you're this family of God, the word says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So I would submit to you that like what pra- praise is a form of worship. And now, like, everything is worship, and praise is a specific way we worship. As I study scripture and as I dig in, that's kind of the more I begin to understand this word, that everything is an act of worship, and praise is a very specific way we offer worship to God. You with me? Follow me? Say amen. And so I've been thinking about, like, well, then then, then what is is praise? I gotta move this out of the way for a minute, because I might get crazy up here. Y'all okay with that? Amen? Good. So, So what is praise? And see, I think, like, Based on kind of how you grew up and the tradition you grew up in, you have the kind of this preconceived notion of what praise is. And for me, it was typically tethered to what I saw people do in church growing up. And I grew up in the kind of church where, like, like this right here was crazy. <laughs> like, if, you, if, if, if the Holy Spirit was really moving, like, I mean, you're going crazy. And now, if you really want to get wild, <laughs> and if you went here, somebody's calling the police. Come on, anybody else grow up like that? Like some of the stuff that happens in here, uh, people would have said, Just, you need some, some drug. I don't know what's going on. But I'll never forget, like, growing up to, we used to do these revivals. Y'all heard me talk about revivals we did as, as church growing up. And if you didn't grow up in church, you're already thinking I'm crazy, but it's okay. And when we would do revivals, a lot of times churches, other local churches, with, with different backgrounds would come and worship with us during revival. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So like, you know, the, the Methodist church would come and, 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 and the Baptist wouldn't come, but some of them would. I mean, and it would, it would be, it, but the Pentecostals and the Church of God folks, man, they was coming because they, they got all the church they could get, man. And I'll never forget, there was, and I don't remember if he was Church of God or if he was Pentecostal or what, but Brother Jessup would bring his congregation every time we'd have a revival. Brother Jessup. Y'all remember Ernest T. Bass from Steroids? You want to see Ernest C. Bass on steroids? That was Brother Jessup. Because he would come and he would worship. And about five minutes in, the Holy Spirit would get on Brother Jessup. 
And I remember as like a seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve year old kid watching this guy, I'm thinking, I'm scared. <laughs> because when the Holy Spirit would move on him and he would start praising the Lord, this man was probably five two, five four, but he could vertically jump on every pew in the whole building. And like he would start like leapfrogging pews, like through the like high fiving people touching people on their wigs and stuff. I mean, just going crazy all through. I mean, he would go bananas. He would start making laps, and he would go, woo, woo, and we're thinking, I'm under the pew. This is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but that was his way of praise, and you know, it was as authentic praise as you've ever seen. Brother Jessup didn't care. If, he didn't care what you thought. He didn't care you thought he was crazy because he was so deeply in love with Jesus. And when Jesus would come upon him, he, praise would begin to burst out of him in ways and he could care less what you thought or what anybody else thought. He was just going to go crazy. So that brings a question. All right, what is the posture of praise? Like if we're, we're, if we're called to praise the Lord as a form of worship and we've clearly can, we don't have to argue that point, right? We're called to praise the Lord. And I hear all the people time, all the time say, well, that's just how I praise the Lord. And it's almost like, like, like I have my way of praising the Lord, and like it's just my personality. And, and, I, and I get all that. But can I just say to you, God has told us how to praise him. Come on. It's about to get really uncomfortable in the next few minutes. Because God, throughout Scripture, has demonstrated us and called us to take different postures of praise. And there's times when, you know what, our praise needs to be different and look different and that kind of stuff. And if we're truly going to get this thing called worship, we have to be open to allow God to move in, in our lives in such a way that we're open to going, taking any posture of praise that he leads us in the moment. And you know what's interesting is, you see the word praise in the Old Testament like crazy. Especially throughout the Psalms. Have you ever noticed that? You can barely read through a single psalm without the word praise being in there at least once. But what's interesting is, for some reason in English, we've translated every one of those instances to the same word praise. But throughout the psalms, there are seven different Hebrew words in those places. Seven different ones with seven different distinctive meanings. Seven different distinctive postures of praise. And so everywhere you see praise, it didn't mean just praise the Lord. Kind of however you feel in the moment. Like there are specific postures of praise that we're called to take. And I just want to walk you through these seven words and just kind of challenge you to be willing to open yourself up to a different posture of praise. You notice what it said? Offer a what of praise? A sacrifice. And sometimes that means a sacrifice of praise is you sacrificing what you're normally comfortable with. Maybe sacrificing your personality a little bit and allowing yourself to assume a posture of praise that most honors and is obedient to who God is and what he's doing in your life in that moment. Seven different words. The first one is hallel. You're probably most familiar with this word because you've probably used the word hallelujah before. But the word hallel, you know what it really means? To rave, to boast, to celebrate, or my favorite part, to be clamorously foolish. When's the last time you let yourself get clamorously foolish for Jesus? 
See, we've all said, we've heard that word hallelujah, we've sang hallelujah, but the root of that, hallel, means to rave, boast, celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. It's used in places like Psalm 35, verse 18. It says, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs I will get clamorously foolish for you. That's a better way to translate it. And some of y'all are thinking, like, I get clamorously foolish all the time in the privacy of my own home, worshiping Jesus. But you notice what it said there? In what? In the great assembly. In places where there will be people present. Because you were so good, and you were so powerful, and you were so awesome, I will just let it go, and a, a, a posture of praise will burst forth in me that even kind of maybe even might could make me look a little stupid. Because you're worthy, and you're worth it. It's also used in places like Psalm 150, verses 3 through 5. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him. And again, everywhere it's talking about, it's talking about celebrate, rave, boast, get foolish. With, this, with, the t- with timbrel and dancing, praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Man, we do that real good. Praise him with resounding cymbals. It's funny, people freaked out a long time ago when they started putting drums in the church and David said we should have done it thousands of years ago. (laughs) Hallel. To rave, both, celebrate. Clamorously foolish. It's a posture of praise. There's another one that's called Yada, which literally means to acknowledge God in public with extended hand. So some of y'all come in here and you wonder why you look around, you're like, you see people taking this position as we worship. And see, like, I've always kind of wondered where that originated a little bit. And to me, like, for me, for me personally, it's always been, that's a position of surrender, right? I mean, if somebody came up to you and said, you know, give me all your money, you go, like, well, most of, we're at Venice, so most of you go like this, I don't know, but (laughs) it's Venice Church. (laughs) But... But when you think about, sorry. <laughs> when you think about a position of surrender, that's what you think, right? But here, it's, we're called to yada, to acknowledge God in public with an extended hand. It's a posture of praise that acknowledges God is mine and I am his. He loves me. I love him. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And in this moment, in front of all these people, I don't care. I acknowledge him for who he is and what he's done from my heart of surrender. Yada. Amen. Yada. It's used in places like Psalm 138, verse 1. I will acknowledge God in public with an extended hand. Lord, with all my heart, before the gods, I will sing your praise. Yada. It's a posture of praise. So you know why we do this in here? It's because God's asked for us to praise him in that way. To acknowledge him in public. Remember what Jesus said? If you won't acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. Yada. There's another word that is very similar to that. It's called tauda. And it means to lift hands in thanksgiving. That out of gratitude and thankful with a thankful heart that we lift hands in thanksgiving. Sing to the Lord with grateful, lifted hands in thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. Tada! To lift hands in thanksgiving. It's just this posture that God has called us to give Him. 
And so I know there's a lot of people that like, you think, I'm not comfortable with that. Sacrifice of praise to Tauda and lift our hands before him. There's another one. The Hebrew word is actually Barak. Barak. And it means to bless by kneeling or bowing. See, this totally different posture. It's actually the way you would kneel if, if you walked into the presence of royalty. That you understand that I'm in the presence of, of someone greater, bigger, more powerful than I. And because he is so awesome and because I am so weak, the only thing I can do is just take a knee and bow. Like we're called to just bow before his feet. And there's times that that's the posture of praise that we need to take when we understand how big he is and how small we are, how good he is and how messed up we are, how gracious he is and how powerful he is and how great he is in that moment in our life that the only thing that we can do is assume a posture of praise that pushes us down to our knees. There's times in here we call for kneeling, for kneeling around the altar. And I hope you know that's not because that, that, is, that is a position that has meaning Understanding, like, if we're going to be true worshipers, we've got to understand that coming up here, and li- that is, it's not just this natural reaction. Oh, the cards, guitars have started. No, it's in recognition of who he is and what he's done. And our only response can be a posture of praise that lifts hands in thanksgiving or acknowledges him or it takes a knee and bows because he's so powerful. Have you ever been in such the presence of, the God, it almost, of God, it almost paralyzed you? You couldn't even move. Psalm 23, 3 and 4. Because your love is better than life. In other words, David is saying, I'm about to take this posture of praise, and you know why I'm taking this posture? Because his love is better than life. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Excuse me, uh, I jumped one. Psalm 103, 1. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. I will take this knee. I will take this bowing position. Which leads me to, that, to the next one. is Shabbat. Shabbat. Check this out. To address in a loud tone or to shout. Make you think twice about complaining about the noise in here again, won't it? Do you see that? Shabbat. To address in a loud tone. To shout. That there is times when God moves on you so much, like you don't even have a word, and it just comes out with a shout. And now, now I remember Brother Jessup running around and shouting. I have a better understanding of what was happening. He was in the process of taking a posture of Shabbat, where all that he could do. Sometimes, you ever have God's moving on you so much, like you don't even have words. They, it just comes out like you, you don't even know what to say. And all you can do is just scream. And give God a loud shout. And that's why when we come in here and we say, give God a shout of praise. Well, we're, not, we're not just saying, let's just go through this motion. We say, offer him a, a, a posture of Shabbat. A posture of praise that just gives him a loud shout. A big, boisterous response. And again, it goes back to the verse I tried to jump into a second ago. Psalm 63, uh, 3 through 4. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And your name, I will lift up my hands. Shabbat. Praise with a loud tone. That sometimes, like the posture that we need to take is just a posture where we don't even have words to say or sing, and it just comes out as a shout of praise to who He is. There's another word, Hebrew word, that we translate as prayed. Pray. It's called zamar. Zamar, which to, means to make music to God with strings. To make music to God with strings. Again, Several years ago, people freaked out when we started bringing guitars in church. David said we should do it. 
to make music to God with strings. It is, a, is, it is good, Psalm 92, it is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, almost high, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. That God uses music as a posture of praise where we, we make music to Him and specifically here He says to make music to God with strings. That music is a posture of praise. Which leads us to the last word, tequila. Now some of y'all thought I said tequila. That's not how you praise God. Okay? Tequila, which literally is translated an exuberant singing. An exuberant singing. Psalm 34, 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. That there's, that you notice that there's, there's a couple that involve lifting hands, and then there's a couple that connect to music. And that's why well, most often we think about praising the Lord, we think about music. And music is a huge part of, of the way that we give praise to God and the way we worship Him through praising Him through singing. And that's not by, by accident. Music, music is a powerful thing. I don't even think we realize it sometimes. Matter of fact, you, when you think about all the things that have happened throughout our culture. Think about just even American history and how much music has contributed and played a part in different movements throughout our culture's history. Music is a powerful thing. And, and now I, I could preach an entire message of getting into the deep theology of why I think that is because you know that God's original worship leader was Lucifer, the devil who was kicked out of heaven. And I, I don't think it's any coincidence that that connection exists there and you look at the way music shapes culture and impacts thinking and behavior. Come on. And that spot that was left open when, Jesus kicked the, or when God kicked the devil out is now given to us and we're the worship leaders. And music plays a huge role in how we worship God. See, when we think about praising God, we think about a lot music first and foremost. Yes, it's music. It's lifting hands. It's doing all these things. But music plays a big part of it. And that's why we take the music that we do here so seriously. And I wanted you to kind of hear the heart of our worship pastor as we dive into this topic. And so I asked him to come and share some insights on this specific posture of praise the posture of praise of singing and making music to God. So would you welcome our worship pastor to the platform, Christian Hahn. <laughs> this guy pours all of himself into the music of our church, and it's, he doesn't just pick songs. He very intentionally and prayerfully goes through a process to make sure that what we're doing here musically is, is fitting these two words that we mentioned this morning. And, and this dude can sing his brains out. A amen. It's kind of annoying. Amen. But I've asked him to come up here and speak, and he could throw up at any moment. <laughs> uh, but I want you to hear from him and hear his heart for music and, and, the, and that posture of praise, especially just as it pertains to our church and from his heart. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Really quick, before we get started, uh, if everybody could just lift up one hand all across the room, every single person, even you, Matt. Um, so believe it or not, um, well, actually, if your hand is raised right now, you actually can sing. Yeah, so you can sing. Thank you for participation. 
uh, God has given each and every person in here a, a voice, and uh, it might not be American Idol uh, voice, but uh, God has given you a, a God-ordained gift, and you have vocal cords that vibrate, and they, they move, they call sound, and uh, in Scripture, uh, God actually commands us over 400 times to, uh, to sing. That's a lot of singing. Um, he's not saying... Um, uh, take two sticks and cling them together or go climb a tree or do this random act like he's actually saying sing unto the Lord um, I didn't say this in the first service but uh, I just feel like I should it's easy that when it's easy on Sundays to come in here and to listen to uh, our worship leaders or listen to a great guitar hook and um, a really good band and a great team which I love our team give them a round of applause they're pretty awesome I have the opportunity to serve with really great people. But um, the day that, that it becomes that we just come in here as a church and we're just here to listen and we're here to, uh, to watch people just kind of lead you in worship, and that's where we're getting it wrong. And uh, God, he's commanded us to do it. He's commanded us to sing. And when this stage is just a platform so you can see us, and so we're not on, I guess, the level of being down there on the floor, but we're all in this together, and us being on this stage doesn't separate us from you. We're all doing the same thing together. Um, that's what that's very important. Um, I've taken a lot of notes. Um, Matt actually told me I wrote a sermon, which is kind of nice, so thank you. He did. Um, so I'm going to be reading off this, but uh, Psalm 96, 1 through 3 is really encouraging. It says, uh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord... Praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. And then Ephesians five nineteen through 20, speak to one another with hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the, uh, the Father for everything in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And um, also, singing isn't only what we do in public. We should also be singing songs of worship during our private time. Um, true worshipers do in public what they do in private. And um, that's a heart check for even me as, as your worship pastor, too. Um, it's easy to come up here and to lead worship, but what am I doing during the week? Like, what are you guys doing during the week to, to stay grounded? And um, are we singing? Uh, singing also encourages and expresses what God is doing in our lives and what he'll continue to do. This, this goes back to the point that Matt was just talking about. There's always a new song to sing. We always have a reason to sing, even if we don't feel like it. So it doesn't matter what season you're going through, um, whether it's a song of surrender, or maybe you need to be singing a song of peace, um, or a song of understanding. Maybe you need to get closer to the Lord uh, in certain areas of your life. But there's always a song to sing. And it always seems like when the going gets tough, that's usually when we kind of like break down and we're like, God, help me. But like what we do during the good times will help us during the bad. And so we need to be, care we need to be sure to, to praise God and give thanks to him, even when things are going our way. And, and that's great and all, but when the going gets tough, you know, what are we doing? Uh, Hillsong has a song called Faithfulness, and um, which we love that song here. We've done it quite a bit. But um, the bridge says... Um, there will be a season for joy and weeping. In everything, our God is faithful. His arms are open. I will come running. In everything, our God is faithful. Um, something really cool and powerful happens when 
maybe you are in a season and you're in the pit, but like you see the lyrics up on the screen, but you decide to say like, you know what, God, I'm surrendering my heart right now. Um, this is what happened this week, but I don't care. And I'm going to sing those words, but I'm not just going to move my mouth. I'm actually going to mean them. I'm actually going to dig deep into the wells of my heart and I'm going to, I'm going to declare those words over my life. Um, David also writes these encouraging words in Psalms. If you've never read Psalms, they're literally just straight up songs uh, that David wrote. He's like the modern day, um, I was going to say Justin Bieber, but I shouldn't say that. Um, and I did. So, so I'm just going to read a couple verses because they, they encourage me and um, I hope they encourage you. Uh, Psalms 9, verse 2. Uh, I will be glad and, re- and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Psalms fifty one fourteen. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. So cool. Really awesome. Um, And then my last point is that singing helps us remember. There's a lot of really good songs on the radio, and there's also a lot of really bad songs. And I'm sure, like, we can think of a lot of those right now. But um, it's important to know that what you listen to the most is what you're naturally just kind of, that's what you're naturally going to pour out. So what you put in, you're going to put out. And I'm not saying don't listen to 104.1 when you go home, because right now my car has 107.5 on it partially my wife's fault, but, but, uh, I'm, I love music, so I, I'm not partial to just one genre of music, I love all types of music, and, um, that's mainly because I believe that music, um, was created for the sole intent of giving God glory, and, um, so in Colossians 3.16, it says that we are to let the word of God dwell richly within us as we sing, and this is meaning the gospel, the good news, um, Bethel has a song called, uh, Our Father, and it's actually, Mark 6, 9, um, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of you know it. Um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The power of music, when when put, uh, the power of music has ha- holds such, uh, um, I can't even get the word out. I'm sorry. There's so much power in music that when we when you put a melody to a set of lyrics, it naturally just kind of gets ingrained in your head. That's why, like, you can hum, like, the latest Katy Perry song, but you're not really sure, you know, maybe some of you like Katy Perry. But um, but Bethel's song, Our Father, is really great, and uh, I wouldn't probably fully know the meaning of that verse if it wasn't for the song. Um, and it goes like this. I'm sure you guys, we've done it here. Our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come quickly, your will be done the same. And so I sing that to, so you know that when you do sing, whether that's in your private time or whether that's in here, the lyrics that you're singing uh, mean something in your life. And when we sing those words um, in our lives, whether we know it or not, like it's doing something powerful to us. Um, and I'll close with this. Um, I'm sure there's some people in here saying, like, why should I sing if I don't have a voice? Or 
the person next to me sounds better than I do, or maybe they even have a, have a passion for it more than you do. And um, here's what I have to say about that. Your voice given over to Jesus and found in company with other, other people's voices given over at the same time produces a dignified and worthy song from the hearts of the people to the highest highs in heaven. Mm. That's good. So therefore, nobody is excused. Not even those with zero musical ability. The critical question isn't, do you have a voice, but do you have a song? Mm. Like, what's the song of your heart? What is your heart saying? If you are a true worshiper, forgiven and restored to God through the work of Christ, then the answer is yes. It's not a song that we originated or created. We can't add to it, change it, or improve upon it. It's the song of the redeemed for their great redeemer. Thanks, buddy. True worshipers are called to offer a sacrifice of praise. And praise has many postures. And so we thought today we would finish our time by giving you an opportunity once again to have the courage to take a posture of praise. I'm reminded of, of 1 Samuel chapter 6. David, who wrote most of these psalms, and as Christian mentioned, they're literally psalms, is literally translated songs. But in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the, if you read the story, the Ark of the Covenant comes back to Jerusalem, and David gets a little crazy. I mean, crazy. He just cuts loose and starts dancing and doing all kinds of other crazy things, and there are people that are around him that think that's not how a king acts. And if you look at into that scripture, he says, David says, you know what, I'll get more undignified than this. That basically, I'm not going to let myself be inhibited by anything. When the, when the presence of God comes into my presence, and I see it, and I know it, and I acknowledge it, I can't help but just go crazy. And so, I want to challenge you. As we worship through singing, and you get another opportunity to take a posture of praise, Maybe you need to take one you've never taken before. The main things are this, that the posture praise, the one you take is it's authentic and uninhibited. I'm not asking you to do any kind of fake expression or take any, I'm talking about just an authentic posture of praise. One that is in true understanding and recognition of who God is and what he's done from a surrendered heart. And that you realize that it's just uninhibited, that you're not worrying about what people are going to think. You know what, I, I think there are people in here that there are husbands who are afraid to let themselves worship because of what their wife might think and vice versa. Or what the people behind you are going to think or something like that. But this is what, maybe you need to understand this. When you truly, truly understand who God is, when you truly understand the message of the gospel, it can't help but throw you into a frenzy. The reality is, and, and see, maybe here's the problem. Maybe you've forgotten how good God is, or maybe you've forgotten the, the power of the gospel. You, you, were, you were messed up. You were broken. You were dead in your sin, and your life was over. And then Jesus came on the scene, gave his life, did everything necessary so that you didn't have to stay who you were, so that you could be healed, redeemed, restored, so that anything could be possible, so that you could experience second chances, so that your marriage could be redeemed, your life could be redeemed, your career could be made whole your future could be secure like that's who he is and that's what he came to do and maybe some of y'all you just been saved too long and the and the power and preciousness of who Jesus is and what he's done it's gotten so familiar that you're not willing to just kind of let it be new again and fresh and see I think what happened to David I think in that moment when he went crazy 
he had gone through his time as a shepherd boy, and he had slayed the giant. He had been king, and he'd been through all this kind of stuff. And I think there came maybe a moment when his life got a little bit stale. And in that moment, God showed up again as real as he ever had. And that was just, I don't even think he knew what he was doing. He was just reacting and responding and taking a posture of praise in a moment. Would you be willing to do that? I'm about you to stand with me if you would. I'm going to pray. And then... We're going to take a posture of praise through singing, and maybe you need to simultaneously take a posture of praise of maybe it's coming around the altar and kneeling. Maybe it's an extended hand acknowledging God in public. Maybe it's two hands in thanksgiving. Maybe it's kneeling and bowing in honor of who he is and what he's done. Father, as we worship you right now, I pray that you'd help us to have the courage to take whatever posture of praise that you're leading in this moment, whatever that looks like, God. This isn't about the people around us. This isn't about the people in front of us, behind us, beside us. This is about us responding to your goodness and greatness, us worshiping you truly. God, help us to assume a posture of praise that is acting in authentic, uninhibited worship. God, meet with us and use this time to do something special in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.